0: Hello and welcome to the Life Is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm with a debut novelist Jess Corbin, who has just released—or it will, will have just released—her first novel when this podcast airs, uh, *A Gentle Tyranny*. Jess, welcome to the program.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Josh.
0: Now let's let's start with this. Can you can you give me and the listeners your elevator pitch for this book?
1: I'd be happy to. All right, well, uh, about 40, 50 years in the future, crimes against women get so bad that for their own safety, women decide that they have to do something. So they create a vaccine that inoculates baby boys against testosterone and create a society where women are safe and men are gentled um, to serve the good of uh, day the matriarchy that they create. And the story follows one... Um, 17-year-old girl, Raina Pierce, who is selected to compete for a chance to become the next matriarch. But as she um, gets closer to the heart of Nade, she discovers that their utopia isn't all that she thought it was and has to decide whether her own safety and the safety of women uh, is most important or whether to let men be men.
0: Mm. So this is... Following a a bunch of sort of YA dystopian fiction, uh, it has a lot of those. I don't want to say tropes because they're not. It's not written as tropish. It's very well done. Um, but but YA dystopian fiction is a very crowded genre. Were you ever worried that your book would have trouble standing out amid all the other fiction that's thrown out there?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um honestly <laughs> honestly my greater fear um uh, was whether I could do the story justice mm-hmm. because I felt that concept when I would share the concept with with friends or family or industry professionals uh they loved the concept of it they felt it was very different um but being a first time novelist um I I wanted to know whether I could do it justice whether I could write this story to a caliber and a level where where I could bring it to life in the right way, because I felt the concept itself I think is intriguing, um, but having having worked in nonfiction to that point, I, I knew enough to know it was a big big shift, and I needed to be able to do it well. Um, yeah, and in the in the time since writing or beginning this series there have been obviously a lot more YA books that have come out Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe now I should worry about that question
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I I don't think you have anything to worry about because it's it really is that thematic element that made this book stand out I I, you know there's there's a lot that has been done and it's been done because it works everybody is sort of playing off of um almost a hunger games blueprint, I think, uh, and because it, it can be done in a lot of different ways and be done very successfully and be done very well and not be repetitive. Uh, but it hits on those things that that you know we know that people enjoy this type of fiction. And mm-hmm. for your story in particular, it really hits upon these thematic elements and the the hook is that Nade is this female dominated culture um like where did this story come from like what were your influences it really reminded me in some respects uh i don't know if you remember hg wells the time machine um mm. and i i i don't know if i can spoil that novel for listeners it's you know oh, i think it's i think it's been out long enough they should know uh but sort of the the way in which um that like was that an influence for you at all or you know where did the story no, come? no
1: if i can be totally honest mm-hmm. and people might decide they don't want to read the book when they hear this <laughs> but i had not read a lot of fiction <laughs> when i started writing it mm-hmm. and so i but part of that even when i would write nonfiction, it was really important to me so that i wouldn't be just absorbing other people's ideas i wouldn't read anything in the genre of which i was writing mm-hmm. um and so it it's funny that people have noticed some similarities with The Hunger Games and Divergent, um, but I didn't read those until my plot was pretty much set. Um, so I think maybe there just is some, you know, whether it's cultural themes that are just in our minds already that kind of come out as we're telling stories. Um, but the the main influence on this story was honestly just a question. And I've, I've heard that that's where a lot of – Great stories begin is just with the asking a question, and I remember exactly where I was when I asked the question, and it was in the middle of a bunch of just a slew of news stories on human trafficking and crimes against women, the Me Too movement, um, and I remember just asking the question, "What if we could do something about it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What would that look like?" And and I I was in the shower. It's where all great ideas come. Nice long hot shower. <laughs> By the time I finished the shower, like I had the idea for the for the story, but it, it took a year for me to have the courage to really take a step forward and start writing it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then things just kind of flowed naturally out of that.
0: And so you your background is in nonfiction. So when you approach this, did did you approach it any differently? You know, like why why write a novel instead of an essay or an expose or a memoir or any mm-hmm. other nonfiction? avenues you'd have to pursue that since that's sort of more in your wheelhouse uh obviously yeah. i think you can add novel uh, writing to your wheelhouse now uh i'll, I'll <laughs> allow I'll, i will allow you to do that um but like like what made you go this story uh this theme this message needs to be told in a fictionalized environment
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I mentioned it took me a year to, to get the courage to do it because, I, I mean, it felt very intimidating, I think. And most of my fiction friends, I thought, if I can be honest, were a little bit crazy. Like, they talked about their fiction characters like they were family members. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man. I, I don't know if I can do that. Like I'm very linear. I've, you know, I've got my timeline on my nonfiction books. I can, you know, do one in three to six months. I know the process, and so to to start over and to know, to know enough to know that it was, it, it's learning a whole new skill set to mm-hmm. be able to write fiction. Um, I think was the the intimidating factor, but this story just wouldn't let me go. And I feel like it it almost was outside of myself. There was, you know, a spiritual element just kind of pushing me forward in this and, and asking me if I was brave enough to take that step. And so, um, that's what kind of pushed me toward it. And, and it was a big step, you know, it's, it took me four years before I finished a gentle tyranny from the time I started writing, um, kind of that concept in, in early stages. Um, and so I'm still kind of wondering, why did I think this was a good idea? No, I. but now I totally, I'm, I'm so glad I did it, um, and I think it really is going to influence my nonfiction writing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's opened up a whole other world of storytelling that's so different from the anecdotal stories that I would put in my nonfiction writing, but now I feel like you know, story is so powerful, as you know, and I feel like it just, it opened up a whole new world of art and um, conveying truth through story, I feel like is just a really powerful medium.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. One of the things um, that I wrote in my review was that not knowing you, I wasn't sure where the novel's message was going, and... Honestly, that for me was like a primary source of tension and suspense throughout the book where I was going, (laughs) I am either going to love this or hate this, depending (laughs) on the conclusions uh, thematically that you that you come to. And um, fortunately, I feel like you came down on the right side of things, Uh, but there there is a contingent of Christian culture that is very patriarchal. And mm-hmm. as the novel shifts to to show that matriarchy has its own problems, uh, that the utopia of Nday comes at a rather severe price, I was I was kind of afraid that the solution was just going to be like, well, yeah, men should lead. That's how it goes in Christian conservative culture. Mm. You didn't go there. Uh, I'm I'm glad for that. Are you? i i guess we'll start with this. Are you worried that your book may come across as too liberal?
1: hmm oh, that's a good question i th- i feel like it i'm i'm thinking of the series as a, as a whole so i i need to mm-hmm. i i'm not i'm not worried about it i i feel like it i've i didn't come to the story with an agenda i didn't come saying that you know i want to make a statement about this i really felt the themes needed to sort of manifest themselves and be massaged out sort of naturally as they went. And I really feel like they have. I'm really pleased with where, with where it came out at the end. And I think readers will be too, regardless on which side of certain fences that they fall on, I don't feel like this is going to be a divisive um, conclusion at the end of the series. I think it's going to be one that, that we can all get behind because it really just celebrates the unique strengths that men and women mm-hmm. both bring to the table. Um, it's not about, you know, one being able to lead better than the other. It's, you know, how, how do we combine our strengths to, to multiply our virtue?
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's an author, a nonfiction author, Carolyn Custis James, and mm-hmm. I cannot think of uh, the title of her book right now, uh, but she uses the term Blessed Alliance, to describe mm. that relationship uh, between between men and women, and like that is really what you hit upon uh, in the book is that humanity was created to be in community, and that also goes with the male female relationship uh, in that they were created as equals to be complementary to one another, and that you know that that is obviously throughout history has taken some very patriarchal overtones uh, and yeah. been been used uh, in toxic and abusive ways. Um, and y- it's not that you go all the way to the other end uh, and, and say that, you know, well, only women should lead, uh, but, but your message really is we are all created in the image of God. We all have these strengths, whatever they are. Uh, to lead and to serve um, but in, in particular you're reacting to and the story is reacting to all of these injustices that are done to women and violence that is done to women uh, were there any like particular real life uh, circumstances that you were thinking about as you were developing the novel
1: hmm well, as I mentioned earlier, there were there are a number of new stories that come up. But I think for me, raising two daughters, um, mm-hmm. it just becomes even more personal. I have my own story, my own personal life of the things that, you know, the um, different things that I experienced as a woman, young woman, older woman. Um, but when, when you become a parent, it changes things. And, you know, you start wondering what kind of a world your kids are going to have, what they're going to inherit from you. Um, how what, what experiences they're going to face as they get older. So, yeah, I think that, that definitely was a personal element, um, even as I, I feel a heavy burden for the sorrows of the world. That sounds sort of dramatic, but it really do, like as a woman and um, as someone who um, just in the nonfiction realm um, hear a lot of stories and, and have walked alongside a lot of people who have suffered Um, a lot because of, because of sin, because of the fall, because of the crimes of, of some, and, um, especially for this topic at the, at the hands of men. And so, yeah, I think that, that was heavy, but also having the perspective of just because there have been crimes committed by men does not mean that women then are the natural perfect source of, Mm-hmm. or should have the, the source of power, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's this sense of the, the theme sort of becomes um, we can recognize the historic injustice and violence that have uh, that has happened uh, to women. And we can work to correct those injustices. Mm-hmm. But there 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 is such such a thing as. um I hate to use the term "make the make the the punishment fit the crime" because that's not really what I mean, um, but there is this sense of like, well, it, it, if the reaction to to men are too violent in within the the, the framework of your story is that they are gentled, uh, they are mm-hmm. sort of um, made into these these beings that are enslaved that are subservient that um don't really have any any life of their own uh you know that is also that that, that's a toxic reaction to violence Mm -hmm. and injustice and the thing that you know violence breeds violence breeds violence and it continues to become more and more extreme um we see that specifically with male female relationships but within the story uh, within the day, you begin to see the the other kinds of inequalities. You begin to see uh, the difference between the rural economy and and the urban uh, areas, between the poor and the rich, commoner and elite. Um, how do you see that paralleling to to real life examples?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I tried to just tell the truth <laughs> as as a good storyteller should, right? You you tell the truth through untruths. Um, but I think that, unfortunately, is very human nature, very much human nature. And I tried to really think, you know, what would this, how would this play out in, mm-hmm. in this society with this given set of, um, you know, parameters of how the society was founded, what their values are. Um, injustices have always been around, right, since mm-hmm. since the beginning of time. And so what, what would those look like? And I, I do think some of those parallel what we have today, um, just with different skin.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is that idea that just power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Really, and yeah. uh, determining how that power should be used in a just way is is really a, a overriding theme um, for the book. Uh, m- moving on sort of out of the thematic realm and more into the actual story, one of the things that really captured me in the book, uh, I think particularly because uh, you're a debut novelist, your background is in nonfiction. Was really the way in which you built the world of Nadei. Uh The world building, I thought, was just top-notch. Um, wh- how did you create this uh, nation's not like really that right word? How did you create this this world, this setting uh, for these characters and for this story?
1: Well, thank you. I take that as a high compliment because that was definitely one of my goals. Um, I, I love to travel, and right about the time that I these ideas about the day were percolating, I took a trip to the country of Belize in Central America, mm-hmm. and I absolutely fell in love with, with this country, with the jungles and the, the Caribbean, the, the animal life, the, just the whole ambiance I felt was so unique um, and adventurous, um, but still like kind of romantic in the traditional sense. Um, and I spent I spent two weeks there and just, I mean, I've got a notebook full, full, full full of ideas and sketches and feelings and impressions, and then took another trip two years later um, to to go to some additional locations, which are going to show up in, in the conclusion to the series. Um, but I, I really am a firm believer that the best descriptions come from personal experience. I, I couldn't have told you what a palm tree sounds like in the wind had you asked mm-hmm. before, but sitting under a palm tree in the wind, you can think of 25 different <laughs> descriptors of, of how that, how that sounds. So um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of those Notes jotted down in that journal ended up translating into details throughout throughout both books. Um, it was a lot of fun, and and it was fun to have an excuse to do quote book research by going sailing and snorkeling and and exploring the jungle and climbing
0: ruins and mm-hmm. all the yeah, best that's always a research. nice thing to be able to be able to say I'm I'm this is research for me I'm working right totally. now this is, this is not a
2: vacation yeah definitely
0: yeah well. A, a, I think you you really you really capture it you capture um I think for for those of us who who you know don't live in an environment like that you 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 capture how easily the the world is the same but different how it's definitely a dystopia in the sense that something really major has happened uh but there there is still this core of like you know, it's not you know the complete death of of society uh, they have re- rebuilt this, and um, it—I don't know—it it, was—it was very, very fleshed out, very nuanced, very, uh, very true to life. I felt um, at the time. Thank you. Thank um, you. The main character is uh, Raina Pierce, and her connection—I I guess she's she sort of she's sort of like the connection to both the sense of her grandmother is the matriarch. She's put into this position where uh, there is going to be a candidate for the next matriarch for the succession, and she's selected as one of those candidates. So she has to... She's sort of that, that unexpected person to to be, um, like I guess, put into the contest of sorts. Um, and it's through... Through that, that you began to see the different aspects of Nade and the different. Um, um, I think one one of the areas is that the each group has they have a different uh, vocation that they go into. When you're creating that aspect of of the world, um, you know, I, I how did you determine okay the, that. Uh, that aspect of the book and like these are gonna be the, the vocations uh, we're going to have the the political aspect of the world work this way
1: hmm. yeah I mean it was just again just trying to think through if if this if women really were starting over if mm-hmm. if we were going to do it our way what would it look like what would we value what would we put an emphasis on um, what would we? Need in the form of gentle labor, um, and so that's that's sort of how those destinies um, or vocations um, mm-hmm. came about. But and then just yeah, also did a lot of research on different different aspects of economics and, and industry, and um, I really wanted to to bring it. You know, a lot of dystopians are sort of a, a futuristic, um, very high technology. Um, concept and I, I wanted to add sort of this rural element where mm-hmm. where these women they chose to have more of a simple life. They wanted to do things differently from what they'd experienced um, in the world before. And out of necessity, because of the land that they chose to build the society on, and then out of their core virtues, um, one of which being simplicity, um, sort of a return to the land. I feel like there's Mm -hmm. at least for me, when I got in my 20s, I turned into like a closet Laura Ingalls Wilder, like (laughs) (laughs) totally wanted to like live off the land, and um, and I felt like there's there's enough of that, you know, in in culture now, nowadays, where you know people want their their farmhouse and their 40 acres, that that it that it felt like that could be plausible.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to a bit of a, a different topic. Um, I always like to ask writers about the technical aspects of their craft, and uh, this was your first novel, but you have a history in nonfiction. Did did this being fiction change the technical aspect of your writing process or your writing day, any?
1: Absolutely. Everything. It blew up my whole process. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to put it back together. Yeah. I mean, apart from just the length of time, I feel like when I started, when I, when I start a nonfiction book, I've got my outline, I've got a plan. It's, it's pretty well dialed in, um, you know, three to six months. When I started mm-hmm. this, I felt like someone dumped a giant, pile of bricks in front of me and said, build a house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I stared at it and thought, how in the world, where do I even start? And it literally was just brick upon brick um, for days into weeks into years, and then having to tear sections down and rebuild them. And um, I am not a fast writer. I, I, I deliberate over sentence structure, even as I'm developing a scene. And so... Yeah, it was very different. It was very different. The, the learning curve combined with just the monumental task of writing a 400 page story, mm-hmm. um, it it changed things a lot. It required a lot of patience and and a lot of humility um, in that process. It required an excellent team. I had a fantastic team of alpha readers who gave. Great feedback, good critical comments, um, had some great ideas, um, and really encouraged me along the way as well. Um, just super, super grateful for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, when you make that move from nonfiction to fiction, with nonfiction, the, the facts are what they are. Like the story that you're writing is the story. You're, you're pulling that story, however, whatever you're creating, uh, you're pulling it from the larger story of reality. And so, you know, these are the facts, here are the anecdotes, this is how it happened. So, you know, you can just, that's how it is. Uh, With fiction, it's just like, oh, I I just make it up. Okay. And it it has to make sense. uh, Because, you know, I I find myself, you know, doing the same nonfiction is not that difficult uh, for me in the sense of actually getting words on the page. But then for fiction, when it's like, this has to come from within my own head, Um, that's, Ooh, that's a lot, that's a lot harder. Uh, what, what is a normal, what does a normal writing day look like for you? (laughs) Normal. (laughs) Well,
1: a normal writing day is me getting my kids ready for school, taking them to school, coming home, sitting down in my, my writing desk, which is also our dining room table and then procrastinating for two hours, finding everything to do other than writing, checking, you know, paint colors and whether what the weather is going to be like at two in the afternoon. And then I usually get a good solid hour in, and then I have to go get my kids for lunch.
2: <laughs>
1: and then after, in the afternoon, I sometimes will get another hour or two, maybe three on a good day of writing. Um, and then, you know, I also have other responsibilities, other other. Uh, jobs that I do, also mom, wife, you know, all of that. So, uh, you know, if I get three to four hours of good writing in, that is a good writing day. And that mm-hmm. probably happens two to three times a week. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> what What do you know now? And in, we can say this is about fiction writing or just writing in general. Uh, what do you know now about writing that you wish you knew when you started your career? Hmm. That's a good question.
1: Uh, well, off the top of my head, I wish I knew that it, it is not a lucrative career. <laughs> Should have gone into real estate. <laughs> mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: No, I, I I, wish I had known, I think now doing fiction, I wish I had known at the beginning of my career in nonfiction just how powerful story is and, mm-hmm. and wish that I would have done more to hone that muscle and, and work that muscle and get strong in that area because I think that... Yeah, I think that even nonfiction infused with good story is double the impact. So, yeah, I, and I'm hopeful that anything that I do from here will hopefully I'll be wiser, wiser for this experience, and, and more creative, and and be able to um, do my nonfiction projects justice because Mm -hmm. of this. But I also have some more stories that are percolating on in the back, back burner too. So not sure. You got that fiction bug.
0: So it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to let go of that one.
1: It is. It is. I think I might have to be a dual, dual author for the rest of my life. Mm
0: -hmm. So I want to, I want to go back to, to the story. And um, so for, for listeners who don't want any spoilers whatsoever. Uh, this would probably be a good place to end the podcast for now. Cause I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about what you have upcoming uh, because this is not the end of the story. There's at least a second book. Is there going to be a third? Like what, what are your plans for the future of Nade?
1: Okay. I will. And I will give this as spoiler free as possible. Cause okay. I don't like spoilers either. So um, it is a two book series, and I okay. will tell you that a brutal justice is written. We just finished edit, so we this story it was very important to me from the very beginning that this series not suffer from the the common problem of having a second book and a three book series just be filler. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. wanted it to be you know winding up from the beginning and just not stop till the end. Um, and so it's a duology, two books. A brutal justice um, comes out in August, and I—I I don't know if it's good to say this or not, but it's my favorite. I—I oh. <laughs> I really feel like I've saved the proverbial best for last. It has um, just lots of fun twists, action, um, more romance, lots more luscious scenery, and we get to explore a lot more of the world of Nade. Um, and I'm just thrilled about how it ends. I really am. I, I can't wait for readers to read A Gentle Tyranny and also A Brutal Justice so they get the whole, yeah. the whole picture um, with the whole complete story.
0: Well, I have to say, I, I love the, the the symmetry with the titles. I mean, that in and of itself is just... Thank you. Lit, literarily, that, that's great. Um, it, Thank you. It, it took me three yeah. years to come up with those, <laughs> so I appreciate it a good title a good title that has that tells you so much about the book while also not really telling you anything uh too much (laughs) about the book it's really really hard to find uh but wow a brutal justice for book two that's that's great um where and then we'll make this the final question where where do you hope your writing takes you from here
2: hmm
1: wow i don't know how to answer that i i really i feel like i've left it all on the table and out on the court and that was my my goal from the beginning was um just a simple prayer of lord help me to do this justice help me to do this with excellence um whatever you want to do with it from there is up to you so i feel like i've i've held up my end of the bargain um it's not perfect but it it really is the best that i can do I've, i've i've really tried to do it well so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with
0: it. Yeah. Well, I'm obviously I'm, a
1: movie. A
2: movie yeah, would be great. Well, yeah, we can throw that out be, there. <laughs>
0: this would be a great movie. This would be a great movie. Uh, you'd have to do it big budget, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if we can't get that that out there. So, uh, the book is a gentle tyranny. It releases in April of 2021, and a brutal justice. You said it releases in August of Mm -hmm. 2021 so um, both of those books getting out there fairly quick quick turnaround Um, so that that's good news because if you read the book in in april then you'll have enough time to really digest it and 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 work yourself up for the release of the second book
1: Yes, yes. I didn't want anyone to have to wait a full year. That's my pet peeve. I don't like reading mm-hmm. a book and then having to wait a year to know how it ends. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking time uh, to be on the podcast program. Um, this is,
2: mm,
0: let's see, this is only March, but I, this is in my, in my, well, I'll say my top two. This isn't this is my top two uh, favorite novels of this year, and they're wildly different genres, so um, it's not not like it's a competition. But one of my favorites of this year, and I think that um, I think there's I think good things are in store for for when this book releases and, and actually gets in front of readers. I'm excited for thank it. Gosh.
1: thank you so much, and thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.